Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. On the podcast today, the two R's, review and reminder. The reminder, the Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Fair is just days away, September 18th at the Kentucky Horse Park's All-Tech Arena. Over 175 authors, plenty of free parking, main stage presentations by very distinguished speakers, and a chance to get up and close uh, up up close and personal with writers like Wendell Berry, former UK law professor and Dean Robert Lawson, Kentucky Port Laureate Frederick Smock, national bestsellers Rita Mae Brown and Karen Robards, and many more. The R today is a review, a discussion of one of the authors and her new work, who will also be at the book fair, The Salt Line by Holly Goddard-Jones. Holly is the author of The Next Time You See Me, received her B.A. from the University of Kentucky and an M.F.A. from Ohio State and teaches creative writing at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In her new novel, The Salt Line, Holly welcomes readers to horrifying visions of a not-so-distant future in which a virulent species of disease-carrying ticks, yes, ticks, has divided the United States into factions. The well-off find themselves safe and secure in zone behind a menacing wall known as the salt line that is meant to keep people locked in and danger out. Joining me for the conversation today is Brooke Raby, a well-known Central Kentucky bibliophile, but more importantly, project manager for the Kentucky Humanities Book Fair, and Neil Chethick, executive director of the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning in Lexington and author of two books also. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. The Salt Line. And my uh, first uh, bit of conversation uh, will start like this. Has a tick ever been the protagonist or a lead character in anything except science books? Not that I've read. (laughs) You do? I mean... Um, there is sort of a there has been sort of a rash in the last few years of books that focus on like a plague uh, and not even in the last few years probably through throughout the the whole of literary history um, where a plague is really a protagonist and you you look at books like um, Eleven and uh, or sorry not Eleven um, California is the one I'm thinking about and then uh, Station Eleven is the other one I'm thinking about, which which Holly's book has been compared to those um, quite liberally, um, and, and she draws a lot of um, she draws a lot of influence from people like Margaret Atwood and Stephen King, where you get those inanimate sort of um, protagonists that play just a tremendous role in the rest of the plot of the story. I have to tell you, though, before we before we carry on, two things. As the book fair manager, um, I just want to go back and say that the book fair is November 18th. You have it written down as September, but that's okay. <laughs> Did I say <laughs> September? You see how ill we all are leading up to I do it's, have September written. It's okay. My it, my fault. I'm excited that we are all <laughs> that we all remember who we are every day. Um, and then secondly, it's as far as the discussion about the book goes, 
Just want to make a note that we were all reading from an unfinished advanced reader's copy from time to time. Um, things change between the finished between the finished copy and the reader's copy. Just a little book nerd legalese for you. That's that we can carry on. Okay, we will move on. And, and Neil, let me just ask you, um, in hearing uh, Brooks' uh, early sort of uh, uh, description of, of the genre, mm-hmm. um, and I've also read, and, and it seems like dystopia or dystopian uh, has come up in, in our language. We're using it more, seeing it more. Uh, literary dystopia, it, it, has it become a new genre in, in writing? I think it actually has. Um, there's, I mean, of course, uh, we go back to when it all began or, you know, in the middle of the last century with uh, 1984 and Brave New World. And Fair then night. in more recent times, um, I think we're just aware, especially based on our environmental degradation, how our future may look. And this book takes place just a decade or two, it seems, into the future. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much about it that's similar to our current day, but it speaks very directly to that fear that we have that we're losing our world, that our environment is going to bite back pretty soon quite literally, <laughs> um, and that uh, these ticks, um, which I'm sure are, uh, can have many different metaphoric uh, 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 placements, um, are the kind of thing that make you really feel uh, queasy. Um, so the first uh, warning to readers, first 50 pages <laughs> of this book, you're going to have a little bit of trouble getting to used to the ticks. Um, but once they've burrowed under your skin, you'll you'll be able to carry on. Let me, yeah, let me heartily second that. <laughs> we did lose a reader in the midst of this, didn't we? We had That's someone true. else reading this and they said, you know what, ticks really get me going. Well, you know, you don't lose the ticks. Uh, they, uh, I, I sort of thought uh, before reading uh, at all that you, they begin with the ticks and that would be sort of a, a main theme at the very beginning. Uh, as Brooke told me though, because she read it first, uh, stay with it. Hang in there. And, and ticks really um, make an appearance, uh, I would say, in the, in the latter chapters, uh, almost uh, at the very end, they still play a really important, uh, prominent role um, at the end of the book, uh, at the end of the novel also. They're the center of everything, and they're this, the ticks are this th- really awful thread of paranoia, this undercurrent that runs through the entire narrative where you know and holly's holly's done a really particularly good job of this and in the tradition of these sort of literary genre kind of um books she for me anyway she lured me into this sense of of um of false comfort where i kind of forgot about the ticks for a second and i was really paying attention to the characters and the plot and then all of a sudden like you remember that there is never there's never a full sense of comfort you are there the ticks are always back there somewhere and you always have to be cognizant of that and um i mean i don't know what that means in a larger sense but i just remember being jarred back into the realization you know after after settling into some other elements of the book and being jarred back into the realization that these ticks are an ever-present threat Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a kind of a visceral thing. Yeah. And I think that um, it's a, a testament to the quality of the characters that she has created. That's where you might say literary dystopia comes in. Um, there's a lot of science fiction that is sort of 
purely plot driven. The characters kind of are there to, as devices. This is a different kind of piece. Each, especially of the top four or five characters in the book, there's deep background, there's psychological insight, um, and there's a lot of interpersonal react, or, you know, relationships that are compelling. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think it works well in that middle genre there. So there's no question that it's not uh, uh, very influenced by by character development and and uh, everything that a good character needs. So, but let's start. I gave uh, our listeners just a snippet of what uh, this is about. Neil, why don't you take a stab at uh, at sort of rounding that out? And 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 if you were, um, it's the old airplane seat uh, question. If you were sitting uh, beside someone in an airplane and had only a couple of minutes uh, when they ask, uh, oh, what are you reading there, Mr. Chathik? And you said the salt line, and this person says, well, what's that about? Wow, uh, a couple minutes? Well, maybe it'll be a long flight, and I might take a little <laughs> longer, but if I only had a couple minutes and wanted to get back to my book, um, I would say that it's about how close we are to the end of human civilization as we know it. Whoa. Yeah. It's dire. We're not very, like I say, like I said before, we're not very far away from this time. We can see things, you know, the web is spoken about in a contemporary way. Um, while there are science fiction type things. They seem to be extensions of what we have right now. So it's really looking at technology, environment, and then maybe in the biggest picture, how that all affects the human relationships that we have. There is an element here of um, infertility. And so that is speaking, of course, to the future of our race. And it's basically saying that the human race may not continue if we continue doing what we're doing. And I think it makes a really good both political case and personal, you know, character uh, case for it. And Brooke, if you uh, were that person who um, did not see the title of Neil's book, you were sitting right next to him in that seat on the airplane. And then as soon as he started talking, you, you said, Oh, the salt line. I've read that. <laughs> and you would have said what about the salt line? I, I would have said something pretty similar. Um, I, you know, it's part of my job is to write summaries for books. And, and it's sad. I had kind of a hard time with Holly's book because there are so many really wonderful elements that I think are crucial to the way that you perceive it and the way that you read it and enjoy it and understand it. Um my elevator pitch, which is what I call it, is that, you know, this is a near future pseudo post apocalyptic America where uh, the country is divided into zones of varying socioeconomic status. And there's a salt line that um, that you, there's a there's a barrier. I wouldn't say salt line because that's a little on the nose. But um, there's a barrier that you can cross into what's left of what we knew before. Um, there's excursion companies and the rich and, and only the very rich can do it. And they um, it, it's an eye opener. It's an eye opener for them to see what lies outside of their very small bubbles. So let's um, for the readers uh, listeners who might be totally confused now about uh, <laughs> about this. Let, let's let's sort of clarify a few things. Uh, this is about a, a group of those citizens that you just mentioned. 
that have the means uh, and the wherewithal to uh, take an adventure. Uh, it's called the uh, Outdoor uh, uh, Limit, um, O-L-E, Outdoor Limited Excursions, mm-hmm. which um, would be, I, I sort of um, thought of um, uh, outdoor adventures that, that anyone would sign up to take to, to climb a mountain or, or go into the uh, the wilds of whatever and uh, outward bound, outward yeah. bound, something like yeah. that. Uh, uh, this is a, a bit different. They they know that they're getting into an area that has uh, been closed to most of uh, humankind for some years. Uh, and again, the demarcation line is the salt mm-hmm. line. Uh, that's uh, and and salt later on in the novel plays an important part of that. But in the process of, um, of signing on for this adventure, you, be, you then begin to understand a, a number of backstories uh, that the characters all participate in individually and then how they uh, very conveniently and quite honestly from Holly's standpoint very cleverly are intertwined when they, they don't know that they're, they're being uh, uh, done that way. Maybe one does. But I would also uh, ask you to comment on, there, there's another word or character to her that hasn't really popped up yet in our conversation, and that is uh, power. And a, uh, there's a little politics in it. Um, Holly says uh, in uh, some publicity that she didn't have any idea that she would be writing about the, the current uh, holder of the uh, seat uh, in Washington as the president of the United States. Uh, but there is a political character in this. And I guess maybe even in uh, literary dystopian thrillers, uh, there's a politician or politics in some way. And it's a little bit un, um, and it's, it's a little bit uh, sort of uh, distasteful and, and you, you see that develop too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just tell me a little bit about uh, a couple of the characters uh, that that you both were attracted to, that you 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 liked. I mean, uh, not that we ha- all have to like characters. There might be some that you like or really dislike. Just just choose one or two, Brooke. Oh, good. I, um, I, honestly, early on, um, I told someone that I was like this book gives me the heebie-jeebies and I hate every character in this book um that that changed of course as I got further into it but um I really became intrigued by Marta uh by the end so Marta is a um, mother of two sons um with a, a wealthy husband um who sends her on this excursion she's um, one of the older uh women in the group um and this sort of seems like something that would not be in her wheelhouse at all but she is there to spy. Um, I don't think I'm giving anything any away here, but she's she's there to spy on one of the other excursion members. And that takes a really interesting turn. The person that she's there to spy on um, is a, a character named Wes, who is sort of a Zuckerberg, a, a real big techie, kind, a Bezos Zuckerberg, that, that kind of guy who has... Um, created an app or software that basically manipulates or or contributes to how consumers spend their money that's a that's the kind of person that you want to know for sure and and we get into a lot of other elements with that particular relationship but i loved her i really did love her character because she was for to my mind the most sympathetic one there and the most complex one and um 
and she really kind of she really kind of pulled it together uh, for me. Um, so yeah, she was mine. Neil, my favorite character as a character, not that I liked her the most, but uh, the drawing of her was Violet, who oh, is she was a, really good. Violet is a lost soul from behind the outside the salt line who was saved from death um, at the last second and nursed back to health and. She seems like an afterthought in the almost brought up in the middle of the book, mm. but as the book moves toward her, the end, it she grows as in importance, and really, interestingly, in some ways, it's kind of happened organically. At the beginning, you have about 50, 50 men and women, but as you move forward, the women take the lead mm -hmm. roles. There's about four very strong women characters in here, and they are the actors for the most part. People like Wes are sort of being batted around mm -hmm. and you know by the other people in different ways. Um, he has power because I would say he's smart, he's white, he's a male, and he's um, got a lot of money. But the depth of the other characters almost overcomes that and mm -hmm. they become more complicated and more interesting and uh, ultimately potentially able to manipulate him. Violet makes uh, an appearance uh, fairly early um, in the novel in a very dramatic way, but then sort of, as you said, disappears to, to a degree until you really then begin to get into her background and, and all of that. And as you said, too, trying not to give too much away here, uh, becomes uh, quite a, a leading uh, character um, toward the toward the end yeah. of, mm -hmm. of the novel. Mm -hmm. um, how old do you think Wes was? Is he Zuckerberg's uh, a a age? Um, yeah. 36. Yeah. I thought he was in his 20s or 30s. Yeah. And Marta was in her 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, they form a, a real kinship and friendship, um, maybe on purpose. Uh, again, uh, as Brooke said, Marta was there to... Uh, to really keep an eye on him, but then she becomes uh, quite uh, uh, friendly in in a, in, a, in a relationship type of way. They they begin to. It's uh, almost a maternal. Yeah. It becomes sort of a maternal relationship. Reminds her of her twin sons. Yes. Yeah. And I think what she does is she confronts her denial, which is a major theme in the book. I think uh, Holly is saying in this book that those of us who live within the wall inside the salt line are denying what's just outside environmental degradation and then other people right. who are not supported in any way who are sometimes shot if they try to come into mm -hmm. the so you know it's um it, it, i think she uh, marta finally realizes that what she's been doing inside has been s complicit in causing the horrors that exist and her wealthy husband is in the middle of all of that she's got her sons and this is, becomes i think one of the big conflicts in the book is what do you do with your children how do you how do you um or I should say the other way, what do you do in our world if it has any impact on, if it could hurt your children? Mm -hmm. In other words, could she ever go against her husband 
because that could hurt her children. And so this whole, we're almost being held hostage by our own children. And, uh, you know, what, we love our kids so much we will do anything, and sometimes we do the wrong thing mm. to try to save them. And she realized that she had been doing some of the wrong things, and that's one of the reasons I think she turned to Wes and said, I need to reevaluate my life. And um, so she's one of the few characters, I think, that is able to do that reevaluation and we get to follow that and see, and I think there's some, maybe some hints there for all of us on, about denial of what's going on in our world because we're comfortable enough. Mm -hmm. She's trying to make us uncomfortable. Yeah. So talk a little bit about uh, how uh, Holly Goddard Jones weaves in some of our issues of the day. I think you, you mentioned uh, a couple of them at, at the very beginning, but uh, for example, um, uh, diversity from from a socioeconomic uh, basis, the have and have nots. Uh, uh, immigration um, was was another. Um, uh, you, Brooke, you mentioned uh, disease and 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 what we're dealing with today. You know, it's it's really kind of surprising that that Jones uh, talks about ticks. And I, I you know, I'll, I'll have to go back and, and look at some of the notes again. And, and we'll ask her when she attends the Kentucky Book Fair, mm -hmm. by the way, on November 18th, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, November 18th, Holly Goddard Jones will, will be there. Uh, and she will be signing this and others. Um, but, um, uh, not only ticks, but, but, uh, Zika virus and, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh uh, deer ticks and all of that they carry that we're dealing with mm -hmm. uh, as of today. So there, she 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 brings in a lot of other of these uh, underlying issues that you might not think about. But she, but Neil. Well, yeah, she flat out talks about the wall. I mean, and <laughs> I think she mentioned in her previous interviews that it was something she had in the book long before mm -hmm. the our our country began focusing on walls. But I think she understood the symbolic meaning of walls, and you know internally, externally. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other issues they bring up is genetics. Um, you know, what happens when we are in a world where the environment is changing? What happens to our reproductive abilities? What can we control? What should we control? Right. So all of that is uh, another issue that comes up. And the, 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 you know, I hadn't really thought about the infertility thing until today. Um, and that's uh, that's a theme there. <clears throat> if you are familiar with The Handmaid's Tale, that's a, a huge mm -hmm. theme in that in that book. Um, and it's, and maybe I'm reaching here, but the infertility thing I think signals, hey, you have messed it up so much now that you are unable to create new life that is going to fix your mistakes. Mm -hmm. I think it really brings forth an like an accountability. Um, for the, the the people in this book and the people that have sort of let things progress to where they are. Um, and, you know, as far as disease and everything, it, it, disease is a great <laughs> disease is a great character because it does not have any prejudice. Um, and it does not care who you are and how much money you have and what you do and what you've done. Um, if it wants you, it will come and get you. Um, and so there's this, while we focus so much on each of these characters and their circumstances, the overriding theme is that, in a way, a lot of that's really irrelevant.
because they are fighting against something that not none of them alone can beat, but that they all have to sort of find a way to do together. Not just that small group, not just one of the zones, but the whole of humanity. And I, for me, that's always a, a good lesson to learn. That's always a good thing to keep in mind. And I think that this is a really creative way to remind us of that. The Salt Line by Holly Goddard-Jones. Uh, again, uh, on November 18th, Holly Goddard-Jones will be uh, at the Kentucky Horse Park Alltech Arena. Uh, she would, I'm sure, love to meet and greet uh, a lot of readers, uh, whether you buy her novel novels or not. Uh, it's just a good uh, way for people to get to know uh, authors and vice versa. A lot of them say, uh, as John Grisham did not too long ago, uh, on our podcast, he just thinks it's uh, time to sort of pay back and and meet some people. He he likes doing that uh, big event at the Kentucky Theater uh, with our partner uh, Joseph Beth Bookseller. So um, it, it was all good. And I want to sort of end up this uh, this podcast by by uh, Brooke uh, you uh, giving a uh, a shameless self promotion <laughs> uh, for. Uh, the book fair coming up and really uh, other than what i've mentioned what else people can can look forward to yeah there's a it's a gonna be a really big full day from 9 a.m to 4 p.m uh we're excited to have the carnegie center uh with a physical presence and of course a, a moral and uh, and spiritual presence with us um neil will be be there and uh, the carnegie center will have a table as well um there, we have 15 programs running through, through the day. We have our main stage, which Bill has mentioned, and then we also have two breakout rooms. Some really interesting panel discussions on um, the, the Western fiction genre and uh, poetry, how to read and appreciate poetry, and uh, everyone's favorite, bourbon. Um, there's bound to be something that you want to listen to. Um, but even if there's not, there are 182, I think it's 182 now, 182 authors there with books um, that run the gamut from um, uh, of fiction to history to Kentucky Children, history, food, young adult. children's and young adults book uh, books. Um, there's really literally something there for everyone. Um, you can watch Bill, do this thing that we're doing now, we're recording podcasts. We do have the three it's podcasts really exciting, that he mentioned. Neil. It, it is. Yeah. Neil is over here asleep. Yeah. Um, Love podcasts. <laughs> we'll have concessions on site. Um, this is a kind of a new chapter for the book fair, and we're really excited to be in Lexington. We're really excited to be at this new venue, um, and, and we really hope to grow and expand it. But we can only do that. Um, with participation from people out there, people in the state that love books and value this kind of event. And it is really something magnificent if you've never been to see that many people in one room, that many books in one room, and to have access to all of it. And as an author myself, I've been to two of the book fairs selling books, and I can tell you from the author's perspective, there's nothing better than sitting at a table and have somebody buy your book um, and be able to talk with them and hear what it is that they are interested in in your book and um, basically be able to make a, a, an ongoing contact with was, the reader. Was your line uh, at, at your table as long as Wendell Berry's? Uh, no. <laughs> no, but I was near Wendell Berry, and so I could oh. see his line. Oh, <laughs> In fact, I had a lot of extra time hanging around. I could just watch his line yeah. go. Well, I mentioned Wendell Berry because uh, he has a new book uh, just out a couple of weeks ago. I picked one up at uh, Black Swan on a, uh, an afternoon when uh, I was delivering uh, posters and information about the book fair and talked to Michael there. And uh, 
Uh, Wendell um, uh, is always a, a big draw. This new book, I, I have not delved into it yet because I've been looking at the salt line mm-hmm. and a couple of others. Uh, but uh, they're, they're going to be... Uh, we, we've mentioned, and there is a podcast, if you go uh, either to iTunes or go back on our website, uh, the Robert Lawson book, uh, Who Killed Betty Gale Brown, about the murder of a Transylvania co-ed in 1961, is really uh, mesmerizing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery in itself and still is a mystery mm-hmm. because it's unsolved. Mm-hmm. Neil, for those um, who don't know the Carnegie mm-hmm. um, and, and what you do there and, and what— uh, uh, it must be a great place to go to work and do every single day. I, I think that way about Kentucky Humanities, and I know you do about the Carnegie. I, I really do. In fact, I, I started there as a student myself and then ended up um, doing some teaching, and it was in 2011 that I became the executive director. It's a place that is for writers, welcoming writers who are interested in getting started, interested in moving forward, have a book that either just an idea or something that's half developed and they need help or they want a community writing is such a lonely sport um, you got to do it by yourself in your um, in your little office but eventually um, you're going to need other people and i really encourage as i did um, going to the classes getting the feedback getting the people who will support you and on the day that you publish your book you can guarantee every one of those people in your in your uh, class will come on out and pick up a copy or two and that's what happened in my case and got me off to a good start neil chaffick of the carnegie center for literacy and learning in downtown lexington kentucky and uh, brooke raby project manager for the kentucky book fair coming up uh, in uh, november the 18th at the kentucky horse parks all tech arena uh, thank you both for joining me on the Think Humanities podcast. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. SoundCloud.